Isn't that a cool song, you guys? That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, go ahead and be seated, if you would. Welcome once again uh, this morning to Christ Church. I love that. Just that if you curse me, I'll bless you. If you hurt me, I'll forgive you. You hate me, I'll love you. I'll choose the Jesus way. That, that kind of love is, is foreign in the world. That kind of love is, is countercultural. It kind of runs against the grain, but that's the love that, that God has loved us with. That's the love that, that flows through us as we love outwardly. Let's take a moment and just pray and ask the Lord to fill us with that love as we approach his word today. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that love that you've shown us, that selfless love um, in the face of, of hatred and and mocking and even crucifixion, Lord Jesus, you said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And that love that you displayed, you demonstrated, I pray that same love would be in us, would come from you and come through us to the world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jeremy and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Welcome to our online crowd, if you're joining us virtually this morning. Hope you're enjoying summer, here we are kind of uh, midway halfway through the summer. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. It's always moving fast, right? Middle of July, hope that you are enjoying summer. I've had some fun, some getaways, and, and uh, really probably the best of summer now is, is in front of us. But if you would, grab your Bibles, go over to 1 Corinthians 13. We have been in a series called Parting Words. Uh, we're studying Jesus, uh, his upper room discourse, basically the last supper, John 13 through 17. And, and within this upper room discourse, Jesus is having his last supper with his disciples. He's on his way to the cross and it's everything that he's saying to his disciples in those, in those moments. Very, very important words. And Jesus talks a great deal about love, this idea of, of love. He talks about it a lot. Here's a few of the passages from that upper room discourse, John 13. 34 and 35, he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In John 15, nine, he said, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you, abide in my love. John 15, 12, and 13, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, is this kind of a big deal to Jesus? Is this important? Of course it is, right? So what we're gonna do today is, or actually for the next few weeks, we are gonna jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're gonna do a deep dive into 1 Corinthians 13. If you have been around church in church life, you know that this is the love chapter. This is the one that oftentimes gets used at weddings, although Paul didn't write, uh, sit down and write and go, hey, okay, I need to make some really good content for weddings. This is what we'll say. It wasn't, it wasn't even aimed at marriage. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13, you may not know this, but 13 actually comes between 12 and 14, right? That's our first point today. Write that down, make sure you capture that. 12, 13, 14, right? <laughs> I'm just messing. But 12 and 14 are important to understand because it's the context of 13. Chapters 12 and 14 are dealing with the body of Christ, the uniqueness of spiritual giftedness, the diversity of gifts, the manifestation of the spirit that's given to each person. Each of us have a unique and special gift that God's given us. 
And so Paul's writing to the Corinthian church because their giftedness had become a little bit showy. They were kind of like the wild child of churches. They love to flex their gifts for, uh, for themselves. And so people would be impressed with them, but that's not what the gifts are for. So within this, the context of 12 and 14, chapter 13, talking about love, the reason he's talking about love is because love is what makes the giftedness and the, the, the parts of the body mesh and work together for the common good. In fact, that's what he said in, in chapter 12, verse seven, he said to each is given the manifestation of the spirit or the, the spiritual gifting that you have for the common good. See, the thing about spiritual gifts you see this over in 1 Peter 4.10 as well is that the gift is actually given to you by God, but it comes from him and it's not actually for you. The gift, different than the gifts we give, the gifts that God gives to us are for us to give away. It's for the common good. It's to be given away to others in love and in service. We see this all through scripture. And so Paul is taking some time to, to just disassemble the individualistic mindset that the Corinthians had, much like we do today. We think very individualistically. It's kind of about me as an autonomous person. We think me, not us. And scripture teaches us to think we, not me. So in 1 Corinthians 12, we see at the very end in verse 31, this is what he says, as he's leading into chapter 13, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. And that's the title of our message series for the next couple of weeks, a more excellent way. You see in Corinthian culture, they valued people who were, who were knowledgeable and very educated and had high uh, levels of knowledge and abilities to speak. And, and if you had those gifts, you were somebody really, really special. And Paul begins to disassemble the motives behind the use of the giftedness. So let's read together 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. It's important to understand the word love in this passage. In our language, we have one word for love, love. And, and we love our spouses, we love our pets, we love our tacos, we love our football teams, we love all sorts of things, but we have one word that we use to describe love, but in the, in the original Greek language, there's actually multiple different words that are used. One of them is eros. The word eros is the sexual, romantic, feeling-based love. That's oftentimes when we, when we think of love in our culture, we think love is, is that feeling that you get towards another person. Well, that, that's kind of a form of love, but it's not limited to that. There's another word, storge, and storge is the familial flesh and blood love. This is how you love your family, how you love your, your children. Then there's another word called phileo, and phileo is the friendship, brotherly love, where we get the word Philadelphia or the city of brotherly love. But then there's this fourth word, and this is the word that's used in this text. This is the love of God that stands very different, very uh, against the grain counterculturally, and it's the word agape. And agape 
is a self-sacrificing, giving, outward-facing, expecting and needing nothing in return, you before me, you first, what's best for you, how can I serve you type of love. And Jesus is demonstrating this love for us as he as he makes his way to the cross and he shows us how to live and what this kind of love looks like. The world does not have this love. The world does not have, it's the love of God. Now God doesn't, God doesn't have love. It's not like God points us to love and says you should be loving or encourages us. God himself, his character is the very definition of this agape love. Over in 1 John 4, 8, we see anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So as we receive this agape, this outward facing, self-sacrificing, you before me, nothing in return, I'm not, there's, I'm not in it for me, I'm in it for you. That's the kind of love that compels us. That's the what, with which we are loved. So as we take notes today, as we work our way through this passage, here's the big idea of this text. What, what is he trying to say to us is, is primarily this. God's love motivates and guides the exercise of our gifts. It's God's love that motivates. It moves us to action. It moves us to do something. And it also guides, which means that it, it tempers. It says yes, it says no to when and how to use the gift that you've been given. In what I say, in what I know, and what I do is primarily what he's dealing with in these three verses. Now, these, these spiritual giftings are more categorical that he's, he mentions here. This is not an exhaustive list. And between 12 and 14, again, it's not meant to be like, this is everything. But in these first few verses, as he's beginning to describe the real motive, the real love of God, what does it look like? How does this outward-facing, self-sacrificing love function in our lives? he begins to really challenge the motives of the heart in what we, in what we say, in what we know, and what we do. Let's look at this again here in verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels. Now this is a category he's speaking to here. There's a couple things he's talking about. One would have been the, the, the gift of speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages. Now the Holy Spirit had been poured out and part of what came with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the ability for, for the apostles to speak the gospel in languages that everybody was hearing in their, in their native tongue. They're like, how is this? And they were trying to figure it out. They didn't understand it. And this giftedness, as it, as it began to work its way through the church, as the churches were birthed and developed, in the Corinthian church, it got kind of unruly. And people were using all of their gifts and all of their abilities for self-serving and self-seeking purposes. So he's speaking to the giftedness of, of this ability to speak in tongues. He talks about it in chapter 12. But he's also speaking to just the general category of eloquence or human speaking. You, you may have this gift. You may, ha or know somebody who just kind of has a real knack for, for a way, their way with words, or like a, just they know how to say things the right way. Oftentimes teachers have this gift. They just, they have a certain eloquence about them. But he goes on to say, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Now that gives us a pretty good picture of, of what this sounds like. The, the Corinthians would have considered these gifts to be very important. Eloquent speech was really highly valued. So it would have been a little bit shocking and offensive for the readers or made them even look foolish. 
What Paul is saying to the the Corinthian church and to us today as well is this, number one, without love, my words mean nothing. My words are meaningless without the love motive behind it. What does love, what is, or what does this giftedness look like without love motivating and guiding it? If God's love motivates and guides the exercise of our gifts, what does it look like without? Well, he kind of gives us the picture right there. You're like a clanging cymbal, a sounding gong. Now, I was in band kind of through middle school and high school. Was anybody else, any other band nerds in the room? Come on. Yeah, let's go. And, and I went to North Muskegon. We had a marching band, but by like Reese Puffer standards, it would have been a complete joke, right? But we tried, we tried. Bless our hearts, we tried, okay? And I was in marching band, although I never really got to march because I played on the football team as well, and so I never got to actually march. But I, I did learn this, that cymbals are actually a very important instrument, but they're not exactly a solo instrument, are they? It's not like, hey, I'm a musician. Oh, really? What do you play? I play the cymbals. I'm a solo symbolist. Really, would you like to demonstrate your skills? Sure. Like, you know, by itself, symbols would just be obnoxious and annoying. They're shrill. It's like, oh, that's really kind of hard to listen to. I was going to ask Kelly if he would demonstrate, but I'm like, Kelly, I don't know if anybody would ever come back to church if you just started just banging the symbols. This is what you sound like when you have a, a great gift of eloquence, but you don't love. It sounds like this, right? That's what Paul is saying here. Without love, my words are meaningless. You're just tooting your own horn, you know? It's meaningless, it's shallow, it's surfacy, it's, it's shrill, it's hard to hear. It's like, but within, but within the context of a band or within the context of love, symbols are actually wonderful to accentuate or to, to bring about dynamics or emphasis. They're, they're amazing how symbols work, right, Kel? But they're not really a solo instrument. No, they just don't. They don't sound good by themselves. That's what Paul's instructing us here. He's saying without, without love, even if you have such a way with words and you're so eloquent in your speech or you've got this giftedness, it doesn't matter. Your words are meaningless. So what does it look like to exercise this gift with love? Well, it means that the, I understand that the weight and the worth and the depth of my words are, are for the glory of God. It's not even about me. It's not about me to feel self-satisfied or gratified or like, wow, look at me, look how great I am. The way that we've, we've been loved and the way that Jesus has spoken to us is out of the love of God. And that's the way that we speak outwardly to others. We choose our words carefully. We, we are loving and we're more concerned about the listener understanding than we are just about how eloquent we sound in saying it. Saying the right things at the right time. Love seeks to understand before seeking to be understood. That's, that's how this gift is, is motivated by love and it's also tempered and controlled by love. The love of God motivates and guides the exercise of our gifts. It's a careful, precise hitting of a target at the right time not just banging around making a bunch of noise. You know, this, uh, this past week, a, a dear family in our church, uh, Chad and, and Lillian Sutton, um, headed off to Egypt on, a, on an extended mission trip and saved for a long time, and it, it cost a lot for them to do this. 
but wanting to go serve in Egypt and, and, and serve at a conference with a team of people ministering to marriages and families in Egypt. And here's a picture of the team and you kind of see Chad there in the middle. So they're with a, a big group of people and they're serving and they're ministering. And so Lillian, Chad's wife, has been sending me uh, emails kind of throughout the week and, and giving me the updates of what's going on. And among many things, how they are, they're seeking to just minister the love of God and, and minister the gospel of Jesus to people. She sent me a, a description of what was happening with their littlest, Abby. If you know the Suttons, they've got three kids, Tommy, Hazel, and Abby's the littlest little girl. And, and, and Lillian said this, she said, Abby was the star of camp yesterday with all these Egyptian children yelling her name. Her name is very easy for them to pronounce. She made friends with a group of kindergarten kids and even the teacher was playing tag with her. And then this sentence really got me. She said it was cool how they didn't even have to speak the same language to show love. And I'm like, oh man, that hits it right there. See, everybody understands the language of love. We can speak different languages, whether they're uh, foreign languages or languages understood, but, but when we don't even understand with our minds, we understand with our hearts the language of love, right? That's what Paul's saying, is he's going, speak the language of love. And, and this is a great example of it. Now, now, if you look very closely and very carefully, you might be able to pick out which one's Abby. <laughs> Lil told me, she goes, there's people coming up like strangers, complete strangers, like, can we get a picture with your daughter? Like, she's this anomaly, this little fair-skinned, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, like they've never seen this before, you know? Can we get a picture? So they're getting pictures. with Abby's a sensation. She's a hit. So if you would, just pray for the Suttons this week as you think about them. What a great example of just exercising love in their giftedness. He goes on to say in verse two, if I have prophetic powers, you might be like, okay, what is that? That sounds really kind of mystical, prophetic powers. It's not really, it's actually pretty down to earth. If in the Old Testament, you, you read through the prophets, um, the gifting of a prophet or prophetic powers, a prophet has the ability or someone who has prophetic giftedness has the ability to discern situations or just kind of look at a situation and see through it, discern the future, like where is this headed? What's the trajectory of this? Prophets can be very strong in their personalities. They often are, are challenging with exhortation and they have the ability to just tell the truth even when other people are, are too afraid to do so. They stand kind of alone. There's divine warnings of decisions that are being made or paths that are being followed or, or a trajectory. Prophets are the, the ones that are going, hey, you don't wanna do that. This is where that's going. They don't always make you feel really great. They don't make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? But oftentimes, the truth that they bring is what we need the most. But Paul is challenging those who have this gifting. Maybe you've got this gift. And you're able to see things. You just, you discern or you see into things that other people don't see. In fact, one of the names for a prophet in the Old Testament was a seer. They might, you might have heard that and be like, why do they call him a seer? Because they had the ability to see into, to see what was coming, to see and discern what others did not. That's what it means to have prophetic powers. Now this gift is amazing and powerful and needed so badly in our lives. 
We don't just need people that tell us what we want to hear and how awesome we are and just warm and fluffy and sunshine and roses. We need people that are truthful with us. Problem is this giftedness, if not exercised in love, can be actually very hurtful. For those who have this gift, it it's, doesn't come naturally often to love. A lot of times the spirit in which we, we dispense this gift is not love. And that's why Paul is challenging this because the spirit of, of, of those who have prophetic power sometimes can be a little bit like irritated or disgusted or angry or they'll be like, man, people are just idiots, right? Loveless, condescending. They, it can have a superiority complex. Like I just, I see and know better than everybody. And I'm gonna tell you what an idiot you are. And you just drive me crazy without dumb. That's what this gift looks like without love. And it can become very, very hard to receive the truth unless somebody is able to go, I'm gonna listen to what you're saying and ignore how you're saying it. But the problem is, Oftentimes we can't hear what someone is saying over the level of the way that they're saying it, right? That's prophetic powers without love. That's why Paul's going, it's, it's the love of God that motivates you to use this gift. And, and it guides you in how and when and the love that is outward facing, self-sacrificing, you before me, your good, not what's in it for me. I wanna love you and serve you and give to you. That's the love that motivates and guides the use of this giftedness. If you have uh, this gift and, and you're loveless with it, you'll end up driving people away. And eventually people will abandon their relationship with you and you'll find yourself alone and you have nobody to gripe about and complain about anymore, right? So be careful if you've got that gift, Ask the Lord, be like, Lord, would you help me to be motivated and, to, and would you guide the use of this gift for what's best for that person? Because my, 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 the reason I've been given this gift is to serve them. So what does this gift look like when it's used with God's love guiding and motivating it? Well, Jesus is, is the perfect example of it. See, love is, is not the absence of truth. In fact, truth and love are inseparable and they're perfect within the character of God. We see this in Ephesians 4.15. Paul says, rather than rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, if we're really honest, some of us are, tend to be a bit more truth people and some of us tend to be a bit more love people. And as we grow to be more like Jesus, it's not striking a perfect balance or being like, I've just got to balance truth and love perfectly. It's actually more about maturing in both of them all the time. For truth people, it's an intentional act and growth to grow in love. For love people, it's an intentional act and growth to step up into conversations and speak truthfully and not be afraid necessarily of the fallout of that. Warren Wearsby famously said this. He said, truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. Just think about that for a second. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's, that's what Paul's getting at is that it's, it's the love of God that motivates, guides, and directs the use of those prophetic powers. He goes on to say, and, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Now this, this is a, a fantastic gift as well. The gift of knowledge or, or education, academia, people who are 
who can just absorb and process so fastly the smart, intelligent engineers, the scientists, the discoverers, typically have a gift of understanding and knowledge. They have a knack for figuring things out. They can absorb things quickly and, and process fast. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I really have this gift. I'm kind of like, I read a book and I'm like, I get about a sentence or two in and I'm like, I need to just sit and think about that for like a week. It takes me a long time to read a book. Anybody else with me? Like your slow readers, slow processors, right? How many fast processors? Like, man, just absorb it, just can take it in. That's what this gift looks like, gifts of knowledge and understanding. Now, without the gift uh, being motivated or guided by love, it can actually become very self-serving. We can fall into this mindset that it's like, it's my ability and my knowledge and my ability to explain and everything I know that's gonna change somebody or is gonna convince somebody. And we can get so caught up and so excited about what we know that we're actually oblivious to how it's making that person feel. See, because love is the relational component. Love is the, the motivating factor behind the gift. Love is the reason why you have the gift. And inadvertently, if you don't love the person well and you're so caught up with how much you know, you'll firehose that person. Anybody ever firehosed somebody? Let me just dispense all my knowledge. Right? And the other person's like, thank you, that's so awesome. I love it. Thank you so much, right? Please do that again. No, it doesn't work that way. They can't even take in what you're saying and and might not even care. You might be going so far over their heads because you're not relationally in touch with what they need to hear, how they need to hear it, when they need to hear it, which is why over in chapter eight of 1 Corinthians, in verse one, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up. Like it's, it's like this hot air balloon, but love systematically builds a person up. The love of God, again, this self-sacrificing, you before me, I want to serve you. How can I give to you? Expecting nothing in return. There's nothing in it for me. I just want to give to you. That's the agape love of God that tempers and guides the release and the use of this gift of knowledge. I don't know if it was John Maxwell, but he said it a lot. Famous leadership communicator. He says, people don't They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? Yeah, you've probably heard that. That's, he stole it from Paul. He stole it from scripture. Obviously, Paul got it from the Holy Spirit. This all is grounded in the character and the nature of God. So what does this gift look like with God's love motivating and guiding it? This gift of knowledge and understanding. Well, James gives us such a beautiful picture over in James chapter three. 13 to 17, look up on the screen. Who is wise and understanding among you? He's like, who has this gift of wisdom, understanding, knowledge? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He's saying, listen, if your motive is right, the dispensation of your gift will be wrong. Excuse me, if your motive is wrong, the dispensation of your gift will be wrong. It'd be wrong. If, if your internal motives are jealousy or comparison or ambition and you're, just, you're trying to make a name for yourself and it's all about you, don't do it. He says this wisdom, verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Ouch. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You can tell by the fruit, the motives of the heart. But then he goes on in verse 17, I love this. This is what this gift looks like when it's motivated and tempered by the love, the agape love of God. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The wisdom that comes from above, from above, the knowledge, the understanding that God gives us, when it's guided and motivated by the love of God, it is willing to wait and to be patient and to pray and to pray, Holy Spirit, would you give me a moment and a time and, and, and an unforced, organic way to just tell this person maybe the thing that they need that I can serve them out of a gift of love. I'm not gonna fire hose them. I'm not gonna try to jam it in their face. I don't think that somehow my knowledge and my ability to explain all these things is what's going to change them or what they need. See, when you, when you realize and you let go of needing to fix them or make them get it or make them love God or make them care, you realize that we have, we have no ability to do that. You realize that your, your giftedness does not change a person. Your ability to share knowledge or say things eloquently does not change the human heart. We can't even fix ourselves, let alone fix other people. That's why we need Jesus, because we're, we're broken, we're flawed by sin. And it's his work in us. It's his work in us to repair and to sanctify and to make right. When we, when we get that though, it's actually very freeing because instead of looking for something in return or thinking, I'm gonna fix this person, I know the answer to this, you get free of all of that and you go, God, that's your business, that's your work, but I'm gonna serve them in love, motivated by love, guided by love at the right timing and I'm gonna serve them in a way that reflects your character and I'm just gonna be patient to say the right thing at the right time. The wisdom that's from above is peaceable, in another version, it says it's willing to yield. Like, hey, I'll just wait. I'll be patient. Clearly, you're not ready yet. That's okay. I'm gonna wait because I love you. That's what this, this gift looks like when love motivates and guides it. And then he goes on to say, I love this next one. I, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains. Now, this is, this is a, an amazing gift that some people have. The gift of faith. He talks about all of these in chapter 12. And he says, if I have this gift of faith, this mountain moving faith that Jesus actually talked about, he's referring back to Mark 11, 22 and 23, when Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he, what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now again, he's not talking about physical mountains, right? Although he could have, he could have physically done that. He's not talking about removing physical mountains. What he's talking about is faith and how the gift of faith that people have looks at impossible circumstances, things that are, are ominous, that are mountainous, that it's like, that is impossible. That could never move. And faith goes, what's everybody all afraid of? Like, let's go do this, right? Where other people are paralyzed by fear and overanalysis and just overthinking things, the gift of faith is like, I'm not super, you feel intimidated? Like, let's just go do this. 
You have a faith and you see the, the mountain moving. You see the possibilities. You see the ways where other people don't. That's because God's given you a gift. It didn't come from you. It's not yours. It's, it's yours to steward for the good of others, the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. But without love, without love, this gift can turn very inward. In fact, the mountain moving becomes the goal itself, the achievements, the accolades, the look at all the things I've done, look at all that I've achieved, look at all that I've built, all that I've started. Where others were afraid, I forged on fearlessly. It just becomes all about self, right? Is accomplishment and achievement and the mountain moving? The, no, that's not even the goal. That's the means to the end. Which is why Paul says, I, if I have the faith to, as to remove mountains, but I have love, I'm nothing. That's the second point. Without love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. There's nothing that I do, nothing that I achieve, accomplish. Everything that is so awesome, that I think is so awesome about all the things that I've done, it's nothing. So without love, my words mean nothing. Without love, I am nothing. And this is just kind of falling right out of, out of the text here. Paul's making this very personal. He's saying, hey, if I can do all these things, have all this gift, but if I don't have love, I don't have anything. Without love, I'm nothing. So then what does it look like for this gift of love, or this gift of faith to be motivated by the love of God? It looks like this. It looks like a person who says, I, I realize that maybe not everybody has this gift, but I, I'm seeing like an opportunity here. I'm seeing something that maybe is intimidating or paralyzing to other people, but I don't, I don't feel afraid. I feel like, no, there's actually an opportunity here to do something. Oftentimes, people who are business owners or start businesses have this gift of faith. They, they start with this, like, I see an opportunity here. And Paul's like, don't just exercise the faith, but do it because you love. So the gift that you have is to clear land. It's to remove obstacles. It's to look at things that people think are impossible and are afraid of and go, hey, we can, we can take that mountain. We can do that. God's gonna, God's gonna meet the needs. I, mean, I, can, I can tell you there's time after time after time, and this is, this is the way that faith works. Let me give you a, a little kind of rewind. You know, back in the Old, in the old Testament, remember the story of when Israel, the Israelites have come out of Egypt and they come to the Red Sea and they're like, oh my gosh, we're hemmed in. There's water in front of us and Pharaoh's army is coming behind us ah, and God let us out here to die. Ah, and they're all freaking out, right? And Moses is like, just shut up. <laughs> just, just stop, stand still and see the salvation of your God. And, and he goes, you know, he, and the waters part and they walk across the waters like, oh, there was a way here that we didn't realize because God can do the impossible things, right? Things that are impossible to man are not impossible to God. The gift of faith is like, it's not rooted in our abilities, it's rooted in God's abilities. You look at the impossible situation and you're like, what, what are you afraid of, right? It's interesting though, as the story goes on with the Israelites, the next time they come to a body of water they have to cross, they come to the Jordan River and it's that flood stage and, and they're expecting, okay, hey, I remember God, he, he parted the waters last time, right? And this time he goes, it's at flood stage, which means the water is rushing. He goes, I want you to step in the water first. They're like, well, no, no, how about we do like we did last time? How about we just go do this and then we walk across? How about you do the impossible and then we'll walk 
because we have faith in what you can do. And God's like, no, 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 step in the waters. That's actually the way faith works more so. Do you get that? God's like, I want you to take a step and then the waters will part. When you take a step of faith, then you'll see me do the impossible things. That's how the gift of faith works. Well, how about you do the impossible things and then I'll walk in it? Well, that's not exactly faith now, is it, right? He makes him step first, but that happens over and over and over in our lives. I want to encourage you in this. I could tell you lots of stories in our lives about how, man, we were like, I feel like God's saying to do this. I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know where the people are coming from. We don't have any idea. And it's like, but we're just going to take a step. And then what you'll watch, you'll see this. You, I'm sure you've experienced this if you have this gift. You see God's power and his resources come in around things you didn't see. You're like, I don't know where it's coming from. Well, God's going to do it. You're not worried about it, right? You're not all paralyzed in fear because you're like, I don't know how all that's going to work. I don't know where all the resources are coming from. I don't know where the money's coming from. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Now, that's not an excuse to be foolish or unwise. But faith has this ability, this gift of faith to clear land and move obstacles. Now, now faith, when it's motivated by love and guided and directed by love, I mean, you can do amazing things. And God will, he will work through you to build, to establish, to clear land so that other people can come behind and enjoy it. Like what you do and how you walk in faith. And man, I love, I love the, like um, Chris was talking about our, our leaders who are going away to high school camp this week. Taking a week off work, sacrificing the pay. Don't know how this is gonna go, but you're stepping in faith and you will see, when you step in faith, you will see God move in ways that you would have not seen any other way. Isn't that amazing how that works, you know? God's love motivates and guides the exercise of our gifts. And the gift of faith is, is when rightly used, is motivated and guide by, guided by the agape love of God. And then verse three, last category. <clears throat> if I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned. Now he's talking about giving, serving, no matter what the cost your money, your possessions, everything that you have. When, when you give, you can do all these good things. You can give away everything that you've got. You can sell all your property, your possessions, and go drill water wells in Africa and combat human trafficking and feed the hungry. And these are all good things that God's called us to, but if you're doing it with wrong motives, it's all wrong. If it's not motivated by the love of God. If I deliver my body to be burned, this would be the gift of martyrdom. Now in their day and age, this was a real possibility. You could face death and even death by crucifixion or by burning if you confess the name of Jesus. It could cost you your life. That happens around the world today in various contexts around the world, not as much in America, but there are people who just by simply confessing faith in Christ, it will cost them their lives. And Paul says, if I do all these things and I give away everything I have, I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. That's number three, without love, I gain nothing. Without love, my words are, meaning, my words are meaningless, my words mean nothing. Without love, I am nothing. Without love, I gain nothing. It's interesting that he says gain because oftentimes in our giving, our giving when wrongly motivated is actually motivated by what's in it for us. And it would, be, it would be false to teach giving to get. We don't give to get. We give to give, right? When we're giving to get or to gain something, 
Well, what, what are we trying to gain? Maybe sometimes giving to get or giving to gain is, is out of guilt or like I, I need to feel like I'm doing good things and I want people to think like I'm a really great guy. Man, I can't believe he sold everything. And he gave all his money to, to that, that organization to do whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I am a pretty good guy, you know? That's not the love of God. That's a self-serving, self-seeking, needing to gain something, like what's in it for me mentality, even under the guise of something that looks really good. And, and of course, God calls us to do these things, but we can be motivated by duty or self-righteousness or, or guilt or wanting the applause of people. But if we're giving to get, we're trying to gain something, without love we gain nothing, nothing. Without love, guiding, motivating, directing, tempering the use of my gift, I gain nothing. It comes from a heart of love. That's what, what Paul's challenging us to here today. So what does this gift look like? With love. Man, you know, you, come, you can come home from a long day of, of work, moms, dads, and, and just feel kind of exhausted. And it's really easy after feeling like you've given everything and you've poured everything out to just kind of take the, the grumpy approach like, you should be more thankful for all that I've done for you. Not, not to justify ingratitude or entitlement, right? But on the side of the giver, it's, it can subtly shift away from like my, my motive for my giving is love towards my motive for my giving is because I have to and I'm responsible and you just need to be more thankful. Can't believe you don't appreciate all I do, right? Man, that's just, it's a correction to go back. Like, Lord, would you fill me with your love once again, that agape love? And next week, we're gonna, we're gonna continue on and, and, uh, and verses four through seven, don't cheat. Well, no, I guess you can. You can go ahead and read ahead. Really, really challenging. What is agape? Agape is this and is not this. And agape does this and does not do this. It's gonna be a great series as we deep dive into this love of God to which we are called by Jesus to exercise, to follow. So again, we've taken just a few weeks to kind of jump back to that. I'm gonna just read the lyrics of this, uh, this song again that we sang just before the message. If you curse me, I will bless you. If you hurt me, I will forgive. If you hate me, then I will love you. I choose the Jesus way. Man, if you're hopeless, I will defend you. Helpless, I'll defend you. If you're burdened, I'll share the weight. And if you're hopeless, then let me show you there's hope in the Jesus way. I follow Jesus. He wore my sin, I'll gladly wear his name. He is the treasure, he is the answer. Oh, I choose the Jesus way. If you strike me, I will embrace you. And if you chain me, I'll sing his praise. If you kill me, my home is heaven, for I choose the Jesus way. Powerful, powerful words. Maybe go back this week and, and just sing that song and worship. Allow that love, that agape love that is so against the grain of the world that it's like foreign. It's actually disorienting to the world of like... I'm hating you and you're loving me in return. Yeah, that's what Jesus does. That's the love that overcomes the world. It's fearlessly loving people even if they hate you. God's love motivates and guides the exercise of our gifts. So without, without love, my words, what I say is nothing. Without love, what I do and what I know is nothing. Without love, my words, 
mean nothing. Without love, I am nothing. Without love, I gain nothing. And one of the practical ways um, this, this summer that we've really wanted to step out into this is our summer love challenge. And it's, it's right on the app there. If you have the app, um, the summer love challenge, you can just push that little button. And what we wanna do is collect stories. Maybe you've already been doing this. But as you step out to love and to serve with the gifting that God's given you, not just in the church, but every day, all the time, wherever you are, we wanna hear your stories. We wanna hear the prayer request. We wanna hear like, how is, how is God extending his love through you? Because everybody's got a gift. Everybody in the body of Christ has a giftedness that God's given you to serve others with, to love others with. So this summer love challenge, all summer long, we're gonna be kind of collecting up the stories, the testimonies, and, and sharing them uh, as we close the summer out. One of, one of the things as a staff we've begun to do that's been really fun is each week in our staff meeting, we'll ask the question, hey, how are you living on mission this week? And how, has, how did the love of God interrupt your life? I like, I like the way that question's phrased. How did the love of God interrupt your life? And what it actually is, is not like major, I'm gonna just start doing all these things. The love of God actually is more like this. I'm, I'm just gonna, in my day-to-day life, I'm gonna be eyes up. I'm just gonna be looking. I'm gonna be praying and asking God for opportunities. Instead of walking into the, co- this, you know, for me, instead of walking into the coffee shop and just getting my coffee and getting right to work, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause. I'm just gonna look and go, hey, maybe I could talk to that person or maybe the, the barista. Hey, how are you? What's your name? Is there anything I can, I can pray with you about? This past week, uh, Dylan and I took some people in our, our community group out and uh, we're just talking about future leadership. And, and Dylan so masterfully is just such a lover of people and a natural evangelist. As the waitress comes by, he goes, hey, we're gonna, in a minute, we're gonna pray for our food. Is there anything we can, on your heart, anything we can just pray for you about? You doing okay? I'm like, that's so cool, Dylan, you know? She's like, well, I don't know. Will you pray for my family? And it was kind of like this awkward moment. And Dylan goes, that's okay. After, after we pray and she leaves, he goes, there's been times I've done that where waiters or waitresses have literally just broke down in tears and begun to cry because somebody loved them, right? Somebody cared. And it's, it's the love of God. It's that agape love of God that motivates and directs the use of our giftedness. And we wanna hear your stories. We wanna hear how is God extending his love through you? So if you got one, go ahead and, and click that button on that summer love challenge on the app there. Share your story, share your prayer request. Love to hear it. It's gonna be fun to kind of recap those stories at the end of summer. Let's take a moment and pray as we just reflect uh, today. Lord, these words are weighty and deep and this, this love is, that you've loved us with is convicting. And, but Jesus, through your parting words, the, the upper room discourse, all of those chapters in John 13 to 17, you say over and over and over to love you and to love each other and that that is the chief value of the kingdom of God. And, and so I pray as we really study and dive deeply into what that love looks like and how it motivates and guides us that you would change us. Lord, I pray that as this love flows through us, that there would be many, many stories from this summer love challenge that we could tell for the rest of our lives that you have, you have changed and transformed lives because, because through us, your love was extended. Pray that you would be glorified, God. We, want, we just want you to have center stage, front and center. All eyes on you, all glory to you, Lord Jesus. You're the only one, you're the only one worthy. We love you, we worship you.
In Jesus' name, amen.